0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast. And now, here's your host, Casey Cover. Let's get started.
1: Hey, all. Welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Cover. Thank you, Joseph, for the introduction. And let's talk about training plans. You need to make a training plan for anything you're going to teach. And let's talk about that, first of all, from the perspective of what's the difference between teaching and training. When you say training, you imply there's a physical component to the learning. So with teaching, you might teach information concepts, um, but there wouldn't necessarily be a skill imparted and you might not even test for the information but with training information is transferred but also there's a behavioral product that we are working to create so that product might be the ability of the animal to cooperate with veterinarians or it might be the ability of the animal to fulfill a job So what it is depends on you, but something that is changing and needs to change with pet owners um, is that they need to have a lifelong training plan for their dog. So it used to be that people and dogs lived and worked together, and a lot of times the dogs were pretty independent. I remember when I was a child, some of the dogs roamed the neighborhood all day long and came in at night, if then. And we knew all the dogs. The dogs were like part of the neighborhood. So they would come and play with us and we would walk them around and all this stuff. But it's not like that anymore. Or it shouldn't be like that. Now the dogs live at home. And if a dog is running around stray on the streets, that's a problem It's a safety problem for people with dogs that are out walking them. So it's no longer true that all the dogs in an area know each other and are often safe together. Similarly, we used to try to solve behavioral problems by teaching obedience. Now I'm all for obedience training. There's many good things that can come of it. But using obedience training to try to stop dog reactivity, hyper arousal, separation anxiety is simply not logical or practical. The idea is that you teach the dog to do something useful But something which the primary use is to keep him from doing something you don't want him to do. So a dog that walks on a leash is not free to roam around. But that doesn't mean the dog will come whenever he gets loose. And if you, um, let me, I just lost my train of thought, guys. Okay, so we've got dogs. Oh, so then if your dog is barking constantly, you can ask him to sit on a place, but that won't necessarily stop him from barking. And so then what do you do? What you need to do is get in there and speak specifically to the dog about barking. And so rather than, you know, get him involved in something that, lessens the likelihood that he'll bark. You get his brain thinking about and recognizing barking. What is barking? What are the other options? What are we asking you for right now? Then we can get in there a lot of times, solve the problem very, very quickly. And when you have a relationship like that with your animals, where you can communicate with them easily and engage their cooperation because your relationship is good, you find you simply don't need very much obedience training. Now, that still doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and do it and love it. It's a lot of fun to compete in obedience. And there are many other things that you can do with dogs that are well-disciplined and well-skilled in doing things like obedience. It can be a stepping stone to other higher performance hobbies that you can have with your dog. So it's a great thing, but it's not necessarily the thing to fix the behaviors that you find uh, not very compatible for your lifestyle with your animal. So what should you teach your dog or should you teach him at all? And I'm going to say, yes, you definitely need to teach your dog. And um, not only because, Your dog needs to have uh, good manners. Your dog needs to have education. He needs to understand how to make a masterpiece of his own life. He needs to learn how to be and stay on the good side of humans. He needs to understand what the rules are that he could get into trouble with. Like uh, you don't bite. You don't claw. You don't run after people. So in addition, there are many other subjects that as the responsible person in the relationship, you need to prepare the dog for. Those would be things like safety behaviors, self-care behaviors, veterinary care behaviors. And there's more than that even. So No longer are you just going to take your puppy and teach sit, stay, recall, wait, those kinds of things. You're going to teach body parts, duration, so that you can have the dog keep a body part in contact for an extended period of time. You're going to teach targets. You'll teach the animal how to cooperate with getting an injection and also with giving blood. Cooperating with ear cleanings and ear exams, eye exams, toothbrushing, swabbing the mouth, taking something out of the mouth, maybe even scaling the teeth. You want to be able to clean anal glands, cut nails, trim the hair around the feet. It goes on and on. And that's just the medical stuff. Uh, How about? um, being in a crate. If you're a person that thinks a dog shouldn't have to be in a crate because the dog should be as free as possible. Think again, crates are incredibly important for people that are keeping dogs. It gives the dog a safe, personal place that he can go to where nobody bothers him. So if you have children visiting and so on, The dog can go in his crate and be happy and be safe and be at peace. Um, In addition, if something happens, lately we have such extreme weather and dogs and owners are often separated. And the dogs will get picked up by animal control and put into, you guessed it, crates, kennels of various kinds, right? The dog, that's not when you want your dog to have to come to terms with being kept in a small enclosed space. So if you do it ahead of need and you do it in such a way that it's fun and inviting, then your dog is going to love his crate. Now, when I say love his crate, am I being hyperbolic? No, in my family, My husband had a dog and he didn't have to go in a crate. I had four or five dogs. It's amazing I have a husband, right? I had four or five dogs and they all had crates. And it was okay with me that his dog didn't have a crate. You know who it wasn't okay with? It wasn't okay with his dogs. So at this time, my dogs were all sleeping out in the garage. And his dog got to sleep in the house. And so every night when we were going to bed, I would take all the dogs into the garage together. But Shadow didn't stay there. He would come into the house. Until he wouldn't. Shadow became downright militant. He wanted a crate. How do I know this? Because he would sneak into Callista's or Kia's crate, and then stand there like he owned it, trying to displace them. I would have to gently but firmly remove him from their crate so that they could go to bed. But I got the message. I brought Dave out to see this whole routine, and we decided to get Shadow his own crate. Now, I didn't mind if it went in the house, and I didn't mind if it stayed in the garage, but Shadow minded. Shadow wanted to be out with the other dogs. So we set up his own crate and every night he very proudly went into it until one night when one of Dave's children was visiting and um, they were a little bit disturbed that Shadow was relegated to a crate outside and they asked, could he sleep inside with them? And I said, yeah, that's fine. You can, you know, just get him. Can I take him in the car? Yeah. Except they couldn't. They could not talk Shadow into coming inside to sleep with them in bed, not even for a single night. And Shadow didn't want to go in the car with them either. He wanted to stay with his gang. So... When I say a dog learns to love his crate, they they show it very clearly. They'll go into their crate to rest. You can leave the door open and they want to stay in the crate. Um, They will play games around the crate. My dog Rocky likes to take his ball and get this. He doesn't take it in the crate so he can, you know, chomp on it. He puts it right outside the crate so that then when we close the door of the crate, he can sit there and stare at it intensely and try to will it to come through the bars of the crate to him. Yeah, this is what I live with. Okay, so your animal needs to know about crates. What about muzzles? Yes, the answer is he needs to know about muzzles. And you know what, not just one kind. Like some people will say, Oh, um, get one of those basket muzzles. It allows more air circulation. The dog can drink through it and even get treats. Well, you know what? It also allows the circulation of the chompers. The dog can literally grab things with his teeth, even with a wire basket muzzle on or whatever kind of basket. At least with a number of the highly rated brands. On the other hand, I have a plastic type muzzle from a um, great manufacturer. And that's excellent when we're going to the vets, for example. It keeps people from getting bitten, etc. But it's not so great if you're exercising the dog. If you have to take the dog to a public place and you're walking around, it's too hot. It doesn't allow enough air circulation. And then there's those little nylon jobs that they put on at the vets. And uh, those are okay. You know, you can put them on and tie them on, but they're lightweight and they're not so comfortable. And your dog should certainly learn to cooperate with a vet. So in case they got separated during a storm or um, you had a car accident and they got away from the car, And a vet has to attend to them and that's what they have. Your dog needs to be prepared to cooperate with that vet with that kind of muzzle. But you need to teach all three of them. And maybe there's more that I haven't mentioned. How about collars? Your dog needs to understand about a number of different collars. And putting a halter on, how about a Elizabethan collar? for when they get injured. Uh, let's keep going with that kind of behavior. So we're off of the collars now, but what about getting an injection? Certainly he should know how to get an injection, right? And you know what? You know how much time it takes to train that in general? With my techniques, less than two minutes. I kid you not, we have it on video. Uh, giving blood takes a little longer. A little more demanding, but it can easily be done. Trimming nails is one of the more challenging behaviors, but we can not only get the animals to generally cooperate with that happily, but to even volunteer. Often, when we teach the dogs to do these kinds of things, um, they go from not wanting to do them to wanting to be the first one to do them. And if you want to see proof of that, go look up our um, blood collection video for the pigs at the University of Maryland. And you'll see the old way that they um, taught the animals or that they didn't teach the animals, but they collected blood. And then you'll see the new way. And the new way took an average of one hour to teach, not in one setting, but in three to five minute sessions, two to four. four times a week for about two and a half weeks. And the biggest problem we had is all the pigs wanted to be first. So there you have it. That's why we call it perception modification. They went from being afraid of the procedure to looking forward to the procedure. Now, I promised you proof of that. If you watch the video, it's like 34 seconds long, I think. And you'll see the first way that they collected blood. And then you'll see the second way. And it's so quiet. And if you look, you will see that behind the tech collecting the blood sample from the willing pig is the second pig politely waiting his turn because he wants to be second. It's great. It's great. I'm sure everybody would like to have that. So let's get busy on it. All right. So let's talk about this systematically. Training requires two things, communication and motivation. So you're going to need to teach communication skills and you're going to need to develop motivation habits, motivation it's almost like capacitators where you store up good stuff that then causes the animal to want to do more good stuff together. So capacitance in motivation, capacitors. All right. So uh, the communication, I've, I've got an outline up here for you to follow with me, includes four big elements. Verse is name and explain. That is simply a process of narrating what's going on. You're explaining everything to the animal as it goes by, as if you were the animal's paid guide to the human world, which you are. It's absolutely what you are, except for the paid part. Okay. So you're going to teach, uh, you're going to use name and explain to name everything that's going on around the animal and you're going to use it to create vocabulary i just thought of another thing i have to tell you here let me just add that we'll get to it okay so uh, Typos, right? Okay, so name and explain to create the vocabulary and the awareness of what everything is and what's happening. You know, even if your dog is right there and maybe he could figure it out for himself, there can be so much going on that he might miss really important things that you want to make sure he notices and stores for later. And name and explain allows you to go through and point out these important points. So the next thing you need are bridges. So name and explain is specific information about the environment. Bridges is less specific feedback. It tells the animal when he has uh, when he's on the right path where he'll be successful eventually or when he has met success. So there's names for those two things. We call them um, bridges because they bridge a gap of time between the instant the animal does whatever you ask him to and the instant when he gets any further reward. And, um, their primary, I'm sorry, not primary, um, intermediate bridges and terminal bridges. Intermediate bridges tell the animal you're on the right path. If you keep going in this direction, you will meet success. And when they do meet success, they meet a terminal bridge. So I don't wanna take a lot of time on it here, but I do wanna just give you a heads up. And intermediate bridge is not the same thing as a keep going signal, okay? And you can see a podcast on that to get more information. Just search the podcast list for um, keep going signal. But it's not the same thing as an intermediate bridge. Okay. Once you teach the bridges, you're going to teach targets. And targets allow you to focus the animal's attention and focus his presence So you can put the animal's attention in a particular place. You can put his entire body or any part of his body in a particular place. Targets allow us to cause the animal to uh, put his attention on the specific information that we have that's important for him. It also allows us, once we have that focus there, To then actually trace the behavior, we can move the target through space and show the animal exactly what we're going to ask him to build. So um, targets are almost like having little pencils that allow you to draw in three dimensions a picture of whatever it is you're trying to teach the animal to do. Uh just give you an example. You ever wonder how a backwards flip is taught to a sea lion? Well, I've done a lot of those. And first of all, if the animal is in good physical condition, it only takes about two and a half weeks. And maybe it would take me less now, now that I understand some things I didn't then. Anyway, we take a target and we draw the entire behavior underwater. And put it on cue underwater. And then and only then do we start to raise it out of the water until we get it as high as we can get it or as high as we want to get it. So targets are very important and they save you a lot of time and energy. But you know what? As soon as you teach them and you use them, you drop them. You don't want to be, you know, if you want to teach a horse to be a racehorse, you might teach it to go around the course using a target, but you don't want to have to run ahead of a racehorse with a target, do you? Even doing a speed run with a seal or a sea lion, you're going to fall into the water. <laughs> so you use the targets to create concepts. Okay, okay. Concepts are classes of some kind of trait. So um, you could have right versus left. Those two things are related, but they're also opposite. They're two concepts. You could have the concept of on versus off, empty versus full, over versus under, around versus between, primate versus fish. You can create concepts very quickly and very easily. Now, why do we do this? We do it because once we teach the animal to look at the traits of something and see how they're related to other objects, it's very useful. So... Um, It took literally less than five minutes to teach a bunch of gorillas the difference between plastic and metal and the difference between spoon and fork. And we were able to say, can you show me something plastic? Can you show me something metal? Can you show me the spoon? Can you show me a fork? Can you show me a plastic spoon? versus a metal spoon, okay? And it happens almost that quickly. So once the animal gets these concepts, then he can sort things according to how they're related. And so if you said, um, can you go bring me toys? I want any and all toys. And the dog can understand that and go pick up all of his toys. Whereas you probably wouldn't want him to bring the neighbor children, right? Bring toys, but not living humans. so by teaching concepts we are we teach them how to sort things out in a useful way, and uh, we don't use a lot of repetition instead, we use a lot of relating and we form mental maps. so mental maps are where you teach the animal how. Different objects and different concepts relate to one another. So I might teach an animal, um, you have a foot, you have two feet. You have, Okay, for me, this is my right hand and this is my left hand. And if you're looking at an animal, it's going to be the opposite, right? So... You, If you're standing and reaching over his shoulders, it's the easiest because then his right is the same as yours and his left is the same as yours. So this is your right ear and this is your left ear. And then with our hands almost in direct contact. Can you show me your right ear? Good. Can you show me your left ear? Good. Do you have eyes? Good. That's good. That's your right eye. That's your left eye. Can you show me your right ear? Can you show me your right ear and your right eye? Can you show me your right ear, your right eye, your left ear, your left eye? Okay, it can happen literally just about that fast. So we start with simple vocabulary building and also with feedback through the bridges. We develop a target to use to communicate about Uh, actions, okay, to describe actions. Then we name those actions. We continue to teach concepts so that we can focus the animal on critical traits that groups of objects share. And then we put that all together in mental mapping. You don't want to skip any of this. Okay, now let's talk about integrity. I have identified six elements of integrity, and they're all really important to your relationship with animals. And I have said, and I'll say it again, integrity, I believe, is the biggest safeguard that you can put in place in your work with animals. If you constantly show integrity to the animals, they are most likely to show integrity back to you. And that's a really wonderful thing. Um, now, once you get have this habit of integrity, so the animal is comfortable with you and knows you're not going to try any dirty, underhanded tricks, like grabbing him when you didn't tell him that you needed to take his lead, or uh, sticking a needle in him without him being prepared, or putting your hands on a dog that you haven't asked permission to. So you have this integrity and now we use our communication skills to start showing the dog what we want to do and what we want them to do. And what happens is through our relationship, being good with this dog, almost always they align with our purpose. So they drive themselves to collaborate with us on these behaviors. They have alignment with our goals. That's an extremely wonderful place to be and very important. And you don't want to skip it in your training process. Next, I like to add gamification to my work with animals. I play jokes on them. I let them play jokes on me. I play games. We set up competitions. We got to play fair in most of the cases. Um, I know this probably looks really weird. I had a video up recently and I asked my dog to do something and he didn't do it very well. And I called him a weenie dog. You're a weenie dog. This dog isn't a weenie. This is big, strong, rough, tough German shepherd. He's no way a weenie. I would call him a weenie when he cheated or when he didn't really give it his top effort. But then if I did it wrong, I would go, oh, man, I'm such a weenie. I don't know why weenie, right? Like a chihuahua, no offense to the chihuahuas. But it's like it's a little effort, not a big effort. Okay, so motivation, integrity, alignment, and gamification. All right, now let's talk about the priorities of the actual training. We talk about the things that we put together to set the stage for effective training, the communication and the motivation. And now we're gonna get into the actual jobs. So think of training this way, at least for an exercise. I don't look at it as I need my dog to sit, stay, roll over and get a shot. I say I need to teach my animals safety behaviors so they know not to bite, they know not to jump on people, they know not to lunge. I need to teach them husbandry behaviors so that I can easily and safely feed them, keep them in the correct area for them, put their leads on and off, put muzzles on and off, give them supplements, give them, um, you know, whatever they need, right? The husbandry is the care of the animal, the daily care. Then we have the vet care, and that's where we definitely would be teaching them about eye exams, ear exams, uh, tooth brushing, swabbing the throat. Uh, Looking up the nose, trimming the nails, trimming the hair between the nails, uh, cleaning the ears, impacted anal glands, injections, taking their thermal, their rectal temperature. And maybe they don't do that very much anymore, but I like to cover all the bases, right, so to speak. And so I still do that with a digital thermometer. I always reassure the dogs. I have a clinical interest only, okay? And uh, what else do we have? You know, you might even have to put a tube down a dog's throat. You might have to bandage any part of him. So you need to teach him about these things before it's an emergency. That is not the time to stress him out by requiring him To hold still when he doesn't understand something. You need to teach ahead of need. Okay, so number four is environmental resilience. You want your animal to be able to function, not just at home, but also outside in your backyard. And maybe your front yard. And maybe on the street. And maybe in your car. And maybe in the vet's office. And at the school, the, the dog training school, and maybe at the dog park, although I don't tend to go to dog parks, and maybe at your neighbor's home and at your friend's home and at a school and you get the drift. What about, is your dog afraid of gunshots? Is your dog afraid of sirens, air brakes? Um, does he want to lunge after birds? cats, dogs. These are all things that your dog needs to learn to deal with that are part of his environment. So he needs to adapt to that environment. He needs to be able to change environments pretty quickly. Yeah, because you never know what what you're going to have to do. Okay, next we have proofing. And your animal has to understand that whatever he learns, he needs to honor your requests in all these different environments we go over. So proofing is where you actually test to make sure you have what you trained for and what environments you have those behaviors in. And finally, we get to the really good part. Next, your dog gets to have a career. This is so important. Because your dog is doing all this stuff for you. He's learning to cope with his um, stresses and manage his own behavior. He's learning not to jump up on children, to be quiet you know, at home or in the library or whatever. And he has to set aside his dogness his dogness that just wants to howl to the moon and chomp on things and dig things and chase things and search for things and hunt things. And you know what? As a collaborator and an ally to your dog, you need to align with his passions In the same way, you asked him to align with yours. So you're going to teach your dog to be your dream companion, but you need to be his dream companion too. And you need to look for a career that's suitable for your dog. Your dog might like to do tricks. Your dog might like to do performances, uh, maybe therapy, maybe going out and being a public figure, maybe doing obedience or hunting or search and recovery or detection or running with a coach, it could be anything. But look at the nature of your dog and his passions and you're often gonna find his passions in his problem behaviors, okay? Like uh, herding dogs that run and nip at the feet and legs of other you know, people running around or other dogs or something. And um, that's because they really want to herd things. Herd, not hurt. Maybe they want both, but we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so get out there and teach herding. And if you don't know any sheep, try ball. There's lots of ways that we can do these things together. Okay. So now I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, how you figure out what behaviors you're going to need to teach. And to do that, I create a lifeline. And I have two kinds of lifeline. I have an annual one, and I have a life. Long. Lifelong, lifeline. Okay. So. I'm typing this as we actually talk. Bear with, bear with, thank you. Hoping to make this so it'll be actually useful for people. There we go. So the annual lifeline is your assessment of what the dog needs to know this year. So let's say you just got the dog and in, according to me, you would let that dog rest at home for an entire month. I wouldn't do any additional training. I wouldn't parade the dog out to meet everybody, even a puppy. I teach them things that I could teach them at home a vocabulary body parts, things that are very low stress and easy to learn and helpful to them. And I wouldn't do any puppy courses or anything until the dog was out of his quarantine area. And that's because we know that it takes an entire 30 days for an animal to be able to maintain their own blood chemistry after a significant event, like a move or rehoming where they lose everybody they loved up until that moment. And they may really love you, but they're still grieving that what they have left behind. And they're still adjusting to all those changes and to whatever experiences they had while they were traveling to you and and so forth. So once the animal gets to you, maybe you always take a vacation on uh, the last week of July and maybe you like to take your dog to the vets on the first week of July to make sure he's ready to go and uh, and maybe we're going to move it to the second week of July because you're going to get travel papers for your dog so he can go on vacation with you and travel papers are good for 10 days so you have to get the vet check within the 10 days of the trip itself and. Maybe you're worried that the dog is going to have a hard time adjusting to the really hot, humid temperatures that exist where you live. And maybe you know that he's going to go into training school at the beginning of June. And he's going to meet a 100 other dogs and uh, start doing drill team. Okay? Anyway, you write all these things down. And then you look at where they fall on the calendar. And you want to make sure that you have them trained for before you actually need them. So if you need to do your vet check in the middle of July, make sure you have it ready and proofed by the first part of July. That way you've got some time to go in and deal with anything that needs a little extra work. And similarly, if you're going to go on vacation at the end of July, you need to make sure your dog is ready for, um, that he will be in a crate, that he can be in his travel crate, which is smaller than his home crate, that he understands about being jostled in the crate, that he understands maybe about hotels, about being quiet in hotels, etc cetera, etc cetera. so the annual line lifeline gives you an opportunity to plan what you need to train by when for that upcoming year but you need to also do a lifelong lifeline and that's because some of the things that you need to get your animals ready for are really important But maybe they only happen once in a lifetime or infrequently, like not every single year. So let's say you have an elephant and um, that elephant is going to have a baby. You want to teach her all about the help that you can give for the baby, the veterinary care for the baby, uh, all that kind of stuff well before the baby's born but an elephant will nurse a baby for longer than a year. So you don't have to do that every year by a certain date. It may only be one or two times in the animal's entire lifetime, but you wanna be ready for it. With the sea lions at the National Zoo, I taught us, I tried to teach all the females, but we, we taught the females to allow us to use a breast pump to theoretically take milk samples. I say theoretically because there was no milk to take during most of the training. And then when there was milk that we could have taken, we didn't want to because it would have colostrum in it. And the baby needs that colostrum. I wasn't going to try to harvest that colostrum to freeze it when we had this baby coming. Well, once the baby's born, in our case, we could just forget it. Now it might've changed over, you know, as the female became more experienced and had additional babies, but when it was one baby, she was not interested in allowing us to collect breast milk. So it was like, yeah, it's all fine, fun, fun and games until the baby comes and then get out of here. But nonetheless, we did teach for that. So if we had had to remove a baby, then we, had set it up so we had our best possible chance of being able to milk the female to get natural mother's milk to support that baby. So the lifelong line is going to include things like um, teething. And when the uh, youngster loses their first set of teeth and gets their second set in, Um, The fear period in dogs where they suddenly change like from about eight months to a year and a half, sometimes as long as two years, where they're much more reactive to things than they were uh, before that. When they may all of a sudden have to deal with um, sex and other animals, that can be very stressful. So uh, with seals and sea lions, for example, Um, they have their babies at a certain time of year and their babies are born. The parents uh, normally molt right around the same time. Then the parents breed in the case of gray seals. The babes are only pups for about a month. I think if I recall correctly, uh, and then they're out in the water getting their own food, and the mother has rebred for the next year already. So the month right around the birth of the pups has got a lot of huge life changes for the animals. The pups are born, the pups are cared for, the parents molt, um, the mother rebreeds. And These are things that are stressful for the animals as well as uh, changes. And so you wanna have them be prepared for that. And let's say you had to, with um, sea lions, this would happen May and June. And let's say you needed to do a test because you had to send an animal somewhere in the middle of July. Well, you need to have the training for that medical procedure and for the shipping of the animal done in April because you were not going to get the same kind of cooperation in May, June, and even July. So you needed to train ahead of need and have this done before the animal hit the breeding season. And you wanna get it done before the animal actually needs to be shipped. So everything that had to do with shipping including going into transport cages, having those cages covered, being out of the water for extended periods of time, being sprayed with water to keep them cool, sometimes keeping them on ice. These are all things that you needed to explain to the animals and get them used to before it was actually required. So this global training plan is the result of my building lifelines for dogs. And training plans for dog jobs. And so I put it all together and made a global training plan. Global training plan being what just about every, in this case, dog needs to know. So the first thing, remember, we have to teach them about communication or information that we have to impart to them. So the first thing we're going to teach is name and explain, where we constantly build vocabulary and label all of life. Then there's the bridges, the terminal bridge and the intermediate bridge and um, targets. And for targets, we're going to teach the two finger target first in general, but also a pole target, which is an extension of our reach. You think about the sea lion that I told you where you teach them to do a backwards flip. I can't do that using having them target my arm because I can't reach that far in the water. So I need a target pole. And um, you also often want a target station, which allows you to send an animal out to a remote place and to stay there and wait. And we're going to teach them the concept of distance, direction, and duration. Now, here's the good news. To teach the terminal and intermediate bridge and the two-finger target takes less than two minutes. And I can add the pole and the station target and teach which of those is takes priority over the others in another two minutes. And then I can teach distance, direction, and duration in another two minutes. So, in six minutes, I can do all of this. So, it's not a problem. It's not like it's a big job. You just need to do it. You just need to t- have the courtesy to explain these things to the animals. So, what do we do next? Generally, I go straight to body parts because he needs to know body parts to get his little sweater on to get his booties on, to get his collar, his halters, his leads. Um, if you're going to pick him up, if the vet's going to do something, if the groomer is going to do something, if you're going to cut his nails, clean his ears, all of this benefits if the animal understands his body parts. So we're going to teach nose, muzzle, chin, Bridge of nose, cheeks, ears, eyes, head, neck, throat, shoulders, front leg, steady leg, steady front leg, elbow, wrist, foot, toes, nails, tongue, wither, saddle, back, croup, rump, leg, thigh, knee, hawk, foot, tongue. Oh, I said tongue before. What I meant to say was torque the nails so we teach the nails but we also teach the animal to understand that we twist the nails then we get back to the tongue the inside of the ears um dog privates their rectum their tail and i probably missed some but you know what we can teach all of those things less than 10 minutes hard to believe but it's that fast and you don't have to teach them all at once you could teach five or six one day. And the next day teach another five or six. And the next day teach another five or six. And then you start relating them back and forth. So the dog knows I have four feet and these two are right feet. And these two are left feet and these two are front feet. And these two are back feet. And these are opposite front rear, uh, you know, and these are opposite Front, rear on the other side. And so it goes. We teach all of these things. Now let's go to concepts. Here are concepts that we always teach. Right versus left. Up versus down. Tight versus loose. One versus two versus four. Front versus rear. Over versus under. Around versus between. Proximal versus medial versus distal versus ventral versus dorsal. Quiet versus like vocal or barking. Wait versus execute so that I can give a cue and ask the animal to wait until I then give an execute cue. Now, some of these things aren't going to make sense to you, but just I'm going to tell you anyway. And um, we'll talk more about them in future podcasts. We've got pattern counting, and we teach the animals to recognize the patterns for one count, five counts, and nine counts, and multiples of nine counts. And that's really useful when we're teaching an animal to extend duration. We also teach the muzzles, nylon versus um, Jafco muscle versus a Baskerville muscle. We talk a lot about feet. I already mentioned a lot of the things, but I'll just go over it for completeness here. I call it the feet intensive feet by right versus left front versus rear feet by the number one, two, three, four, or you can give them separate names. I know people in dog freestyle that named their, um, Dog's feet according to position. And uh, if I recall correctly, Peggy Singleton named her dog's feet like Donald, like Donald Duck, right? For the two front and Mick E for the two back. So maybe Don was the left front and Ald was the right front and Mick was the left rear and E was the right rear because in freestyle dancing she needs the dog to know which foot foot needs to be moved where and she was a disney fan i think okay then we're going to add actions so after concepts we add actions and we're going to teach wait walk stop recall stop on a dime stay sit down And two, I forgot to add our leave it and drop it. And I said, wait and stop. Okay, that's important. Now, we do have a recall, but I just want to take this opportunity to mention that the recall generally is not as critical to me. I want the the four behaviors that I consider most critical are leave it and drop it, wait and stop. Stop is if the wait didn't work or if I was too late, that's my second level of safety to keep the animal from running out in front of cars or jumping on somebody or grabbing something that they shouldn't have to eat for whatever purpose. So the absolutely uh, biggest priorities there for me are wait, stop, leave it, drop it. All right. Then we have um, the medical exam. We already talked about that. Husbandry, we talked about that a lot. Grooming. And then we're going to add some different kinds of targets, especially For example, if you want to do television or theater work, um, these can be really helpful. Television as in media, whether it's ads or movies or, you know, actual television shows, theater work, referential targets where the animal stays not in direct contact with the target, but a certain relationship to the target. So... Um, Dalmatians run with carts. But you, you need to not have them running under the wheels of the cart. They need to stay in a certain relationship to the cart and not get too far behind or too far ahead to stay out of the way of harm from the horses and the wheels and close enough that they don't risk getting hit by some other vehicle. So for that. We teach a referential target, stay back by the right rear wheel within three feet and not getting ahead of the wheel or whatever it is that you decide you want to have. And then concepts like defer to my pulling versus push versus pull or mouth open versus mouth close, take versus give, pick up versus put, catch versus throw versus bat, Hold versus carry versus deliver. And carry for varying durations. Pick up from the ground, from the water, catch in the air, throw in the air. Stationary target, moving target, retrieval. Then uh, some more advanced work. You're going to have, I don't even know if I put it in here yet. So let me check, let me check. Okay, we're going to put... Um, Loose lead walking. I'm going to put that after drop it. Sheesh, after all these years. It's hard to imagine that I would actually forget something. But anyway, there it is. So we added loose lead walking. Okay, more leash work. Drop sit. Drop down. Remote wait, remote wait being where the dog isn't right next to you, but he has to stand there and wait. Remote return to me, where let's say you're walking and you drop the dog in a sit or a down and you keep going. And then you're far away and you give him a finger signal and the dog returns to you. Gates like walk versus run versus pacing, a stealth approach. You can see why, right? Uh, Following finger cues, indefinite durations. My dog, King the Wonder Dog, an amazing, amazing dog. And he would wait outside of a store for me for hours. Or he'd wait outside of my classroom for hours if necessary. Just an amazing dog. Uh, let's see. Up and down stairs, walls, obstacles, crossing bridges, crossing gaps, going over fences and gates. Very useful when you have a dog that's doing farm work with you. I had to check three rams at the University of Mar- Maryland. So every morning we'd get there and the fence was about five foot tall. And I would climb over, but I didn't want to go in with the rams first. So King would jump up the wall and jump down with the lam- rams and kind of clear them out. So I could then jump down and go to feed the other animals without having any altercations with rams at all. So going over fences and gates can be really good. Okay, remote remote targeting. Basic sends to targets, to series of targets, to chaotic series of targets, all right? We don't stop within reason, we keep going. Makes it more fun and interesting. Remote targets at an interrupt. So where, for example, you're sending a dog out to another person, but you can stop them on the way. So go, stop, go, stop. Go. OK, so maybe you're sending the dog out and uh, you see that there's bicyclists crossing this path and you need to stop the dog until the bicyclists cross. So these are concepts that are very useful, but a lot of people never get around to teaching them. Uh, so remote drop, sit down, stay, return, resume and an implied target. And that's where, for example, you show an animal relationship to something, but it's not quite within reach or it's not quite the same type thing. So if I teach my animal to mimic the target I create with my right hand, with his right front leg, that would be a thing. I might say, okay, can you move your foot like this? Or can I'm going to move my rear leg this way. Will you move your front leg the same way? And um, this amazing trainer, Tina Humphreys, did a lot of that with her dog, Shandy. Okay, other things, boundary training. Your animals should know where the limits of your property are. Many of them will just respect that if they know what it is. Indefinite stay, where um, if necessary, you can leave the animal indefinitely. How to deal with children. How to resist arousal to tolerate the weird stuff that kids do. To trade up. I always teach dogs that if a kid takes your food, you come tell me, I'll give you something better. And the dogs would look at it as an opportunity. I caught King the Wonder Dog taking things to the kids so they could have them. And then coming to me like, "Uh, the kid took my this. So do you have any stake in there? So trading up. Uh, let's see. Retreat, allowing the kids to retreat. Allowing the dog to retreat, allow taking food, allow hands in face, resist chasing regardless of running and screaming, and check the dog for resource guarding. A lot of times with resource guarding, it's amazing because I've been sent some resource guarding cases that I actually never saw. And, in one case, the owners were watching the dog with me, and the dog came, and she's chewing on a like a nyla bone on my feet, just about. And so I was telling them that you need to tell the dog what you want to do. And I said, "Okay, I'm going to pick up your bone, and you need to tell the dog when you're going to switch levels. So as I'm bending over, good, 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 good and I pick up the bone, And then I turned to the owners to say, you know, when you explain to the dog what you're doing, that makes it so that there's no uncertainty for the dog. They're not worried about what's going to happen. But the owners stopped me in my tracks because they were shocked. They were literally shocked. And I looked at them and I said, is this not normal for you? And they slowly shaking their head. And they're like, we wouldn't be able to pick that up. And I'm telling you, as crazy as it seems, simply telling the dog what you're going to do will solve so many problems. Okay, so children, that is something every dog should learn. And you know what else I'm going to add here? Hide and seek and find children and all family members. Your dog knows what each of you smells like. If all of a sudden your child wanders off, your dog knows where they went. What he doesn't know is how to tell you. It's up to you to establish a way to ask your dog to find your children. And that way, if the need ever arises, You can simply ask your dog what he knows about where your children are. All right, now let's talk about task training. Okay, take uh, faith, guys. This is the last of it. So I'm just going to name some of the kinds of tasks and careers. Anything with scent. Dogs are so good at it and they love it. And you know what else? It's the best way to tire them out. I know that it tires them out, but I'm told by other professionals that it's the best way to tire a dog out. So you have scent tracking, like finding fugitives or people that have gone wandering, scent identification, like telling what kind of animal has passed there or whether or not somebody has cancer or COVID, agility, freestyle, frisbee, dock diving. Hunting, herding, livestock guardian, service dog, alert dog, therapy dog, and you add the rest. There's so many more we could add already, right? So now, once you get all that done, just remember that you keep doing it. You keep revisiting things. You keep making things more interesting. Training is a way of life. Teaching or learning is a purpose of life. You want to experience and explore as many things together with your animals as possible. Okay, let's do a, just a quick summary. Okay, for training you have to get communication and motivation. Then you're gonna set your priorities. You're gonna cover communication first, then motivation, then safety, husbandry, vet care, environmental resilience, proofing, and career. To figure out what actual behaviors we need to teach in all of those categories, we use lifelines. We use a lifelong lifeline and an annual lifeline to make sure that we have our training in place before we need it. And to make sure that, uh, I think I forgot to mention it the first time through, you spread the training out. If you have 10 things that you need to train and they're all due in December, you don't start them all in November. You start, you know, the most important one in January and as soon as you get that well on the way you're going to add another one you'll have you'll be adding most months a new thing at least every month and maybe you're going to take a couple of months off for breeding season or for your vacation travel or something like that okay then we set up information skills name and explain bridges targets Uh, We name things, body parts, concepts. We teach pattern counting, uh, training for all the different things that are used for their husbandry. So I mentioned muzzles, leads, collars, Elizabethan collars, all those kinds of things. Then we add actions. Then uh, cooperation with various medical procedures husbandry care, grooming, special targets, and what their uses are. Um, Very commonly needed concepts and components. A component is a mini behavior. It's a little tiny piece of behavior. Then more leash work that's more advanced, then remote targeting, boundary training, indefinite stay, Child proofing, so important. And then task training, the dog needs a career. Okay, that's it. Isn't that easy? Aren't you glad we did this? All right, I uh, let me know if you want to have access to the printed version of this. So put it in the comments. And um, if people are interested, I'll see what I can do. If you just want to make your own, that's fine, too. Hey, people, every day, every time, I thank you for sharing this with your friends. It's helping me to get the word out. And, of course, I'm passionate about all animals having the very best opportunities to live their best versions of themselves. So. Thank you for your help getting the word out. Thank you for your likes, your comments, your subscriptions. Please tell your friends, and we'll see you next time. Take care.
0: Hey, fans. Are you enjoying Training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.